Hi, guys. This is Quint. Uh, it's noon on the East Coast, so nine in LA, which means Brian's still sleeping. I'm going to slip this in here. Um, quick intro to the intro. We've got a ton of new listeners over the past couple months. So today we are rerunning one of our most impactful conversations of the year. We're talking today about the Green New Deal, and our guest is the architect behind it, uh, the one, the only, Rihanna Gunn Wright. Rihanna is no question, one of my favorite people on the planet, and not just because of our shared affection for snacks, uh, but because she's working so, so hard to build, uh, to literally write with her own fucking hands, a blueprint for a cleaner, greener, more renewable, and more just society in America. If you are new here, and you enjoy this conversation, uh, please don't hesitate to check out our other conversations with these other incredible women uh, that are leading this particular revolution. That includes Dr. Catherine Wilkinson, Varshini Prakash, Dr. Kate Marvel, Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, Nikki Silvestri, Dr. Deep T. Singh, uh, Gina Lee Obergfell, Catherine Vaughn, Dina Liebman, Amanda Lippman, Nicola Chung-Yalpa, Dr. Christy Ebby, Dr. Julia Steinberger, Dr. Yesem Salen-Taylor, Molly Peterson, Dr. Dawn Deep C. Wright, Dr. Claudia Benitez-Nelson, Shaughnessy Naughton, Elsa Minjitsu and Emily Villa, Shansa Relly Alonzo, Dr. Heidi Steltzer and Ann Christensen, Julia Robertson, Emily Cassidy, Megan Herbert. I could go on and on. If you don't know these names, here's the thing. Either you are new here because you couldn't have fucking missed them, or it might not be your fault. And let me just explain that real quick. And I promise this was quick. Our society does a horrendous job allowing these women to do their work, to advance in their fields, and to share if not rightfully command the platforms they deserve to make the impact that they can and that we need them to make, whatever their gender or their preferences or the color of their skin. So we're trying to do our best here to help however we can. If you're a longtime listener or you're new here, there's just no fucking excuse anymore. Get educated, get inspired, and please pay it forward. We are fighting with these women and all of the awesome gentlemen we've talked with, and are a partners for a democratic climate change debate. And that is not because it's this single issue we desperately need to talk about, but because this climate crisis touches everything from clean energy to clean air and water, to clean jobs and national security, to disaster relief, migration, healthcare, food security and agriculture, and economic and environmental justice. I cannot imagine a group of people better suited to lead us into that future than these people, many of which are women and women of color. Now, we've got even more of these awesome conversations coming soon, but if you have suggestions for others, please have at it. You can reach us at importantnotimp on Twitter, or you can email us at questions at importantnotimportant.com. That's it. That's enough out of me. Brian's probably awake by now. Uh, here is our conversation with Rihanna Gunn Wright. Please enjoy. Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic or question affecting everyone, including you, including me, including Brian and Teddy on the planet right now or in the next 10 years or so. Uh, if it can kill us or turn us into that uh, 
beam of energy from 2001, uh, we are in. Uh, our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts, almost astronauts, uh, even a reverend. And we work together with you and our guests towards action steps our listeners can take uh, with your voice, your vote, and your dollar. And this is your friendly reminder that you can always send questions, thoughts, feedback, jokes uh, to us on Twitter at importantnotimp mm-hmm. or email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, this week's question is, mm-hmm. what's it like when you've been asked to come up with a plan to save everything? <laughs> No big deal. Yeah. Our guest is Rihanna Gunwright. She is writing the policy for that little thing you might have heard of uh, called the Green New Deal. Uh, She's 29 years old. She's a Yale grad and a Rhodes Scholar from Chicago. What's up? And she's the policy director for the New Consensus, having worked previously for uh, the Abdul uh, El-Sayed campaign and also in the White House uh, for the greatest person ever, First Lady. And first in our hearts, especially <sighs> Quinn's, Michelle Obama. Oh, just the just the best. <laughs> it felt like we were four degrees of Kevin Bacon away from Michelle Obama. Can we get Michelle this? Obama? Could you imagine? For a future Would podcast? I be able to talk? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Right? It's black or white. I would either not stop. Right, right, right. Or be Or not be able silent. to say anything. Did, I told you what happened when I listened to her audiobook. I heard just so like a trailer for her audiobook, mm-hmm. which of course is her reading right, it's her, her book. So here's what happens if you listen. It's great. Sure. Read the book. Buy the book. Great. What happens when you listen to it is because she read it. Yeah. Is you can, which of course is what I did, start every day and end every day with her talking to you. Yeah. Which is everything I've ever dreamed. Doesn't seem terrible. Um, Rihanna is a damn close second. Uh, (laughs) This was delightful, informative, empowering, inspiring. She's a hell of a human being. Yeah, she is. And it became very clear that we are lucky that this is the person more or less controlling our future. Yeah. Yep. We've had a few of those recently. Yep. 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 Uh, I, it, you know, I understand how it feels like shit is pretty tough out there, but man, it feels like for the first time in a while, not officially uh, elected officials, but right, everybody, right, right. literally everybody else, I think we're in good hands. Yeah. I'm I pretty, feel great after I'm pretty talking to her. That. So anyways, let's, let's cut to it, man. Let's go talk to Rihanna. Our guest today is Rihanna Gunn-Wright, and together we're going to talk about what it's like when you've been asked to come up with the plan to save everything. Rihanna, welcome. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) It's terrifying. Great. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Short version. (laughs) Too long, didn't read. (laughs) Commercial for the podcast. It's terrifying. Yeah, we're going to get into all that good stuff. Awesome. We're, we are so pumped to have you. Uh, If you could, Rihanna, uh, give everybody a quick little uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I am Rihanna. I'm originally from the south side of Chicago. I am a policy person. I hate the word wonk, so I don't really use it, but uh, I work in policy. I have since I graduated college in 2011, and now I lead the Green New Deal project at New Consensus, which is one of the main think tanks working on the Green New Deal and probably like the main sort of clearing house for experts and research and whatnot. Incredible. Into it. And how did you uh, find your way into that gig? Yeah. So like I said, so I've been working on policy since about 2011. Uh, well, I graduated. Yeah. And so I was an analyst for a while. I was also a design researcher. So I worked in actually user experience for a while um, at an ed tech startup. And I finished that job in like 2015. 
team or my project was over. And then I moved to Detroit to work as the policy analyst at the Detroit Health Department. Mm -hmm. And then the head of the health department, Abdul El-Sayed, decided to run for governor for Michigan. And he asked me to be his policy director. And so after a lot of hemming and hawing, I agreed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And so we did it. We released about 250 pages of policy. During the campaign, about 11 full pay, like 11 full policy agendas. And just for a check, uh, most gubernatorial campaigns don't have a policy director and they put out maybe 30 to 40 pages of policy on the high end. So you're an overachiever. Uh, yes, kind of, but I don't really know how we did it, but, uh, and for lots of reasons, we thought it was important. So we did it and the policy ended up, especially towards the end of the campaign, getting a lot of coverage. And so we didn't win our primary. So I was like totally ready to just like start applying for law school, figure out what to do next. And the heads of new consensus reached out to me and essentially asked me, would you do for America what you did for Michigan? Uh, and I was like, yeah, if you pay me enough. Um, <laughs> right. I'll do anything. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, because essentially my brand now I'm figuring out is, uh, do you have a really big progressive idea? Do you not know how to do it? Do you need someone dumb enough to agree? <laughs> you should go to Rihanna. And so like now uh, that's, that's kind of what I do. And then it was partially because like we did like a state level single payer plan on the Abdul campaign mm-hmm. that was like had we figured out like the taxes you would need to pay for. It. We have figured out sort of like reimbursement levels and benefits. So it was like really designed out. And I think that was a moment because people have been like, you can't. How do you do single payer at a state level? And then we put out this plan and then people are like, ah, so you're the one I call for impossible. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I was like. I was like, I, I, um, uh, I mean, uh, like, uh, OK. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm not busy. Right. So what have you gotten so, yeah. yourself into? Yeah, I really honestly don't know. And so that's how it happened. And the Green New Deal was the first project that New Consensus was taking on. Uh, so I took the the policy lead on that and accidentally became a pretty, pretty passionate about climate and climate change, which I was not for most of my career. Mm -hmm. Not that I didn't care, Mm -hmm. but I worked on like poverty and equity. And so to me, even I was just talking about this, like on Twitter yesterday, climate change. I knew it was an existential crisis. I knew it was really big and important and threatening. But with the people that to me that I wrote policy for and that I was intending to serve, climate change is not on their top list of threats, right? They face a lot more present threat, present as like they define it and as we see it. And so I just didn't, and climate also felt like a very white policy area to me. Mm -hmm. So I just couldn't connect up how climate change was actually, and more, more the economic system that supports climate change was also at work uh, with the issues that I was caring about and the communities that I was trying to write policy for. But working on the Green New Deal, I've learned way more about that. And now I'm actually super passionate about the Green New Deal and think it is really deeply important for not just our generation, but 
for even just the moment that we have now and for really trying to figure out how do we solve this crisis that it's not, even though we talk about it as very political, it's not a political game. People will die. Mm-hmm. Like millions mm-hmm. of people will die. And, and coming back to what you worked on before, it. like it's not, uh, the, the, the rate of attrition is not going to be equitable. Uh, no, no, not at all. And there's actually, I was just reading this paper the other day that I was talking about how like in really rich nations in the U.S., like the U.S. that have really high levels of income inequality, the worse the inequality becomes, the worse climate change, mm-hmm. like the, the more emissions go up. And it was just really interesting because no one really knows the mechanisms, right? right? No one knows why it happens, mm-hmm. but there's now just a growing body of research that says it, this is what is happening. And so one of the theories is that because the burdens of climate change are faced so inequitably, mm-hmm. we you know have hot spots with pollution. I lived in Detroit, which is like a hotbed for environmental justice issues. Because of that, actually, there's less action on climate because the folks who profit the most from it have the most power and they can sort of siphon off the the ills to other people with less power. Right. And so it actually makes it hard to build a collective movement, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting mm-hmm. theory about why, yeah. why it happened. No, it's 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 rich, bright people ruining everything, continuing to ruin everything. <laughs> tale as old as time, man. Fantastic. All right. Well, I want to dig into that more for sure. Brian, set us up here. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Just like every time we do this, uh, everybody, this is our goal, okay? We want to provide some context for the question or the topic that we're talking about today, and then figure out some action-oriented questions to ask that get to the heart of, of... you know why we should all give a shit about uh, about you, Rihanna, and and what you do, and and figure <laughs> well, out what we can all do. You don't have to give a shit it. about me. I don't know. A little uh, bit. Well, pretty cool. wait till you get to the next question. So, <laughs> listen, we do like to start things off with one important question, and this is where you kind of fucked up by not listening ahead of time. It's fine. Uh oh. Oh yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, it's okay. Well, we like it's going it to be fun. They don't listen. It is more fun when they don't listen. Okay. Uh, so Rihanna, everybody gets asked this. I want you to be bold and honest. Our question is, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> that might be the best reaction we've gotten so, so far. Good. Look, I, I want you to be honest about it. Seriously. What, you know, both like existentially and, and pragmatically, you know, why are you here, man? So I think so on a pragmatic level, uh-huh. uh, I think I'm vital because I think I function as this very weird bridge between quite fierce progressive values and the rigor uh, that is inherent in policy. And I think too often those worlds actually don't intersect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think often it's because of this really excuse my French, like really fucked up idea mm. that if you have big ideas, then you can't be rigorous or it's all fantasy or you're not serious or you're some sort of kid. And I don't think that that's true. And so I think I have a, a weird and unique ability to communicate uh, to both camps and also just more broadly about why these things matter and to explain the sort of 
rationale for the Green New Deal and other policies I've worked on and why they make sense in terms that people can actually access. Uh, And we can talk about this more later, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is because I never felt like I had much power throughout most of my life. I always wanted to write policy for people uh, who felt like that or people who like grew up in communities like I grew up. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And so I've always like from even writing my senior thesis, I try to I've always tried to write in terms that people could understand Mm -hmm. so that they can access the knowledge. And it's actually turned out I got shame for it kind of early in my career, uh, but it's turned out to be useful. And then I think on a personal level, I think uh, climate change is really scary and I'm a bit of a nihilist, right? Like I don't fear death a ton, mm-hmm. right? Good. Unless I'm in particular uh, situations. I mean, I'm also a Christian, so my faith has part to do with that. Mm. But I think a lot of the response to climate change is like a very human response, right? Who hasn't really like fucked some, something up mm-hmm. and it's become so big and terrible and you don't know how to do deal with it and you just turn away. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, well, like we're essentially just trying to ghost the planet at the moment. <laughs> 100%. Um, but we have figured out that like we can't actually in this relationship right. and the moon hasn't worked out. Yep. <laughs> we don't know nope. where else to move. Nope. Nowhere to, so we're nowhere like, to go. Well, uh, we have to fix this now. And I think it can be really overwhelming, especially if you are really scared about death and about what could come because it's, it's a terrifying thing to think about. And so I think I'm vital because I'm not particularly afraid about that. And I think actually death can be a weird motivator in the sense that like none of us get out alive. Like what's the point of amassing huge amounts of reputation if you don't use it to actually make anything better, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, so, so I think that, that that's actually really useful at, at a time like this. I always felt bad about not being a more hopeful person mm-hmm. throughout my life, but it's actually, I think, coming in handy now because I'm like, well, who cares if I don't have hope? Like, we just need action and mm-hmm. maybe hope will come along, but I don't need hope to do the work that I do. I like it. I like it. You, you really laughed at my question and now you had a really substantive <laughs> answer to it. I, well, because it's like a weird thing. Like, I don't know. It's also like, why, why are you vital? Often, I mean, it's just like a weird uh, like I said, I'm kind of a nihilist, like I'm kind of a depressive. And so I'm like, does anyone matter? We're all just <laughs> tiny atoms in the world. And so when anyone asks me, like, I've just never been asked, like, why are you valuable? Mm-hmm. And it's also weird, like as a black woman, like I think especially women, but especially women of color, you're sort of taught always that like to stand in any sort of like power or gifts that you have is mm-hmm is not is not okay or is a threat or like puts a target on your back even for something as simple as like twitter trolls so it's something that i've only gotten more comfortable about now mm-hmm. and really only in the context of like this fight in the campaign mm-hmm. because I can't be talking about big ideas if I don't seem confident. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm <laughs> right. like, I don't know either. <laughs> right. It's all very terrifying. You know, so uh, you have to, I've had to sort of like work on it. I get it. I, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, I obviously never could because I'm I'm the white guy and, and uh, those things haven't been an issue because that's the system we designed. Good yeah, work, people everybody. are like, white man, tell me everything that you've ever done well in your life uh-huh. and we shall applaud you for yep, it. <laughs> yep, yep. Or even the things you didn't do well, you know, you just kind of fucking <laughs> yes. backed your way into. Tell me how you failed upwards, everybody. 
<laughs> all right, we're gonna get into that more because I I I am yeah, interested. Yeah, so yeah. all right, so little context. We had a, a whole podcast on the background and the future of the Green New Deal uh, with with your pal, uh, the incredible Varshini. Uh, so mm-hmm. I won't for everybody like rehash what the actual New Deal was. Uh, a vast infrastructure plan to drag us out of the depression and prevent it from happening again and mobilizing our <laughs> workforce like never before uh, or how successful it was or how it's been measured at various points throughout history mixed, but God knows what would have happened without it uh, or why yeah, a green yeah. version uh, needs to exist, which is <laughs> because look at your fucking window shit's either on fire underwater or the polar vortex uh, is in your backyard and it should not be. But this is an important reminder though. Uh, we, a semi joke about this stuff. It's not a moment to to, to panic, right? Because panic is no. paralyzing. So yes, uh, we are running like thirty years behind emissions, and some things are irreversible. We are in full adaptation mode, but we can slow this thing down. Like one of our previous guests, uh, the amazing Doctor Marvel uh, at NASA, has said, like this whole twelve year number that everybody uses is not some fucking cliff we're going to fall off, but right. it is a slope. Right. And we can claw our way back up it. So we can slow this thing down. We can adapt. We have to adapt. And we can build a far healthier, more sustainable, and and certainly more equitable society. But that Mm -hmm. requires a plan. And that plan requires an architect. And Brian and I (laughs) have kidnapped that architect uh, and got her on the phone. So I want to dig into this, uh, this question, which is, Again, what if what is it like when you've been asked to come up with a plan to save everything? And and Rihanna, this is what I think is so specific here, which is throughout uh, modern history, the list of people that have been asked or or forced to come up with a plan to save the world, whether in in books or TV or movies or in real life, is super fucking white and very dude heavy, right? Basically, yeah, variations yeah. on. On Bruce Willis, various John or, right, or John Wayne, maybe, maybe yeah. Sarah Connor, but they all seem lovely and they have a decent track record. Uh, for a minute, we had Will Smith, who did such a great job. Right, we didn't deserve oh, him. Yeah. He, oh yeah, Will Smith was a great aliens, zombies didn't matter, killed it. Right, <laughs> uh, handing over his organs to various strangers, the greatest guy. But yeah. it is time, uh, very clearly, for a different perspective because shit is not working. <laughs> so. Rihanna, I, I am I am very confident you think of yourself as much more complicated than simply a black woman in America. But yeah. let's yeah, start yeah. there as it is the most yeah. obvious, if not the most superficial difference. So are, are there any sp- specific pressures, either internally or externally, in your role that, you know, sure, obviously getting to the position you've in must have been a similar road to what you're turning on now. Like you said, women of color are not exactly... Uh, in, encouraged to show their power. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm curious about that. So it is, uh, it's, well, I feel like there's a lot of context. So Please. first there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of women involved in the Green New Deal who sort of fit this, who are not white dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the main spokesperson is representative Ocasio-Cortez, who's a Latina woman. Mm-hmm. You talk to Varshney, who's the executive director of Sunrise. And also, what a babe, right? <laughs> like, she's just the best. Yeah. What a babe. You can say and that. And yes, you can't say it, but she's amazing. And I don't mean like, 
I mean, she's beautiful, but also just like that brain, that passion, like, oh, she was awesome. She I just love her. No, we hung up the phone um, and I was like, just give her all the things. Yeah, Let her yeah. do all the things. Yeah, give, Great. give her all the money. Whatever give her it is. all the things. Don't Let care. her run. And so I think that's been really helpful because even though I know the world doesn't expect that face Mm -hmm. or I feel like I'm in a community of other people. Right. And that's and it's not just I'm like the executive director of New Consensus is a black man, Damon Drummer, Mm -hmm. who used to be an organizer. Actually, the neighborhood I grew up in, Inglewood in Chicago. And. And everyone else, I mean, there's also white men involved, but they're so supportive and so just like committed to having our voices heard and helping us navigate the space. And we're, you know, and supportive of of the work that that has made it easy, uh, easier. I think the other thing is like, I don't really read a ton of press, right? Like I'm working on the Green New Deal. I generally don't need to read hot takes on it, right? Please God, don't. Is it going to change like the work that I do? Not really. And so that helps. I tend to like build a bit of a bubble around myself, especially, and it's funny, especially when I'm doing work like this, because I find that like I can be really empathetic and And I also was raised and like grew up in a policy world that's very where you there's so much emphasis on seeming serious. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, like I had these sort of progressive values, but I wrote policy that was much more in a neoliberal framework because I thought that was what I had to do. Mm. I thought that was the only framework I had to work with. I knew that the two weren't matching up, but I was like, well, this is what it is. The folks that I admired, I mean, a lot of them didn't, but a lot of them did. And it just seemed like to step out of that box, especially as a Black woman, could really endanger my career and whatnot. And this is one of the other reasons in the Green New Deal, people constantly talk about like, why equity, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that like people live with the repercussions of policy decisions that were made before they were born. And so Mm -hmm. like, for me, that pressure to be serious felt really intense because I feel this pressure to create wealth that I can pass on to my kids in one generation, which is a big fucking lift. Right. I mean, it's the complete fucking opposite of the current situation. Yeah. Which is, which is really, really hard. And that all has to do with the ways that like, my family as a black family that came from the South was excluded, mm-hmm. right? From all the sort of, all of these protections that could have helped them build wealth. And now, you know, I'm here. And so I I was thinking about all those things. And, and so I know that I can be really susceptible. And so when I'm trying to do these sorts of poli- this sort of policy work where I'm constantly trying to think outside of the box and trying to stay focused on like, what is right? Right. Because even if something I mean, things have to make economic sense. Mm -hmm. Right. But at a certain point, I don't care how much money it takes to make black people free, to make Latino people free, to have indigenous folks uh, have treaties respected. I don't care because it's the right thing to do. And it's hard to hold on to that when there's a lot of noise, because often we think of those things as like extras. And if you can get them, you get them. But they're not essential, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, because they're not the economic choice or, you know, it's not 
because this doesn't have to do completely with productivity and growth or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though it does have a lot to do with that. It does. And, and that's so, the thing is like, it, uh, a ton, we just happen to be ton. at this crazy fucking crucible moment where inequality is a nightmare. Uh, you know, uh, African Americans have seen exactly zero support in growth forever. Still, <laughs> still none. Uh, yeah. and you know, but at the same time we have all these, uh, you know, everyone's like, it doesn't have to be about employment. And you're like, well, the two fastest fucking growing jobs in the country are, are clean energy. And it's like, why aren't we using this workforce yeah. and making it more equitable and let people have a living wage? And uh, exactly. Exactly. And so I tend to like sort of create a bubble. So I don't hear a lot. I generally work and then I just like watch Real Housewives but, and like hang out with my dog. But, um, you're, such a good but your Twitter game is so fucking strong. And specifically <laughs> your 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 GIF, GIF, I, I can never get it right. Game oh, is, yeah. is out of control. Thank you. So you do put yourself out them. there a little bit. I do. And that's a very new part of of my job. I have been in the background and I've also worked for principals for a while. Right. So like when you work on a campaign, like I work for a candidate, I work for Mm -hmm, a principal mm -hmm. who has their own platform Mm -hmm. that has their own ideas. And my job is to support them. It's not to necessarily be seen or to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think I took, I took to that part a lot because I kind of like, don't mind being in the background, Uh, probably more than that was necessary. But now it's become clear that, if we're trying to really help people understand why a Green New Deal is is necessary, if we're trying to help people understand like why you need to deal with equity and climate together and how, in fact, that's not a trade-off, right? If you're going to be talking back against these ideas that like the Green New Deal is just a bunch of kids who put it together or it's just a laundry list of of progressive policies, someone has to talk about the rationale Mm -hmm. and the reasons and the thought behind it and give people a space to talk back and to interact. And uh, I kept waiting for someone to do that and no one was. And so I was like, okay, fine. I guess I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's really new and a part of my, of this work that I'm getting more comfortable with, but that is been really uh, quite a bit, quite jarring for me. But I mean, as far as the policy design parts, it's, it feels, it's definitely not going to be easy. And you're talking to me now as, as we're sort of ramping up and starting, like talk to me in November and I'll be like, this is the worst. <laughs> I hate it. Um, can we schedule that talk? Now? We'd love to have you back. You absolutely can. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll, you know, complain a lot, mm-hmm. um, perfect, but, perfect. but right now, I I don't feel alone because I'm not under any illusions that like I will create this plan from my brain. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I think is really exciting about new leaders is because I think for so long we have this like lone hero mentality about problems. Like one person shall come and have all of the thoughts. Mm -hmm. We'll have an Einstein (laughs) come and like solve our problems. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that like, I just don't think that's real. And I think beyond it not being real, I think, policy is nothing but collective solutions to collective problems. Mm-hmm. And so you should be moving in in alignment and building consensus and listening to people. And so I I it doesn't freak me out a ton because I def I feel like I'm not alone. Like I have and every day we build more relationships and more people come on board and want to be involved. So like if I have a question about the economics, I have probably 10 uh leading economists I can call. Mm-hmm. Right. And be like, 
does this make sense? Right. And so it's um, it's easier because you. I don't feel like I have to come up with everything on my own. And also it's fun. I love designing systems. I love thinking about systems. I love the fact that we are finally reviving this idea that like n- so little of this is just the way that we live is from God, that these are systems that are constructed. Sure. And they weren't always constructed for efficiency. They were constructed often to keep some people in certain places where they could be exploited. What or, do you mean? Wait, would stay in like particular lanes, uh-huh. right? And so I love this idea that we're reviving and that I get to work on all the time, which is that like, if we built these systems, we can rebuild them. We can build a different world, mm-hmm. right? That's also why when people talk about the politics of it, it doesn't bother me so much because to me, like politics is the most movable part of this, sure. yeah. right? Like po- politics is literally people. People are in the way. You can help people. Mm-hmm. You can change people, mm-hmm. right? What we can't change is climate change. Right? Well, like I, that is an immovable mm-hmm. force. Right, and that's the thing we've but, talked about a lot on here is it's like, uh, you know, Russians try to put nukes in Cuba. It's like, you know, we, we, that just got negotiated away and then that thing was over. This is that yeah. is not how this particular problem works. No, which is like it's it's here. The thing is here, and like like you said, that We're does not it. just. We can deal with the people thing. We can whatever but this this specific thing. This hole we've dug uh, is is just here. You have you have to do. Yeah, it. you have to. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, like it's kind of exciting because I love like being a black person and finally being in a position where I can look around and say, in fact, these things in this world don't work and I'm going to work with other folks to put forward a new vision and a vision that's just, it's not just about who, like what is politically feasible, but really a vision for how do you build a more just country, which has always been my dream. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So let, so I mean, while it is a collective effort, obviously, and this whole thing isn't on your shoulders uh, alone, what specific perspectives are are you bringing to to this effort uh, and, and the plan that you know a rando rando white guy can't even think about yeah so i think there's a couple of things i think the first one well one i'm not a like a climate hawk or an enviro right. and i don't say that in a way that's dismissive i just mean i come from a different space and so i think sometimes like in terms of And I come from a different space and a lot of my work has been focused on intersectionality. Even before I went to Oxford, like I actually wrote about it in my Rhodes essay about how I was really interested in figuring out how do you write policy that actually addresses multiple intersections of power Mm -hmm. and the way that people are seated differently. And really what that gets down to is how do you make a policy that actually addresses the root causes for different of a problem for different groups of people. Cause you can have, people can present the same problem and not have the same cause. Just like everyone who has a cost cough doesn't have a flu. Right. right. And so, so I've been like interested in that and, and working on it in various areas of policy for a while. And so that is what I bring is that like, I don't, I guess like I don't really see silos a lot. Like I recognize them, but I don't mind sort of moving past them. And I don't really have an issue thinking about sort of multiple intersections of it's hard, but I, I, I like to. And I think that that is a bit of a 
a difference and something that I bring. Uh, and that was part of the reason that I was hired was that there is such a, the Green New Deal includes so much beyond even just like energy, which is, and climate, which we think about, mm-hmm. but there are other parts of it, um, are meant to support the transition sort of. So when people talk about the role of a jobs guarantee or Medicare for all, thinking about like what policies need to be in place so that people could actually participate mm-hmm. and actually get the jobs. And so that we aren't just laying investment on top of inequity and then going, oh, why didn't it all work out justly? <laughs> and then we're like, what? Right. You, you, if you set water on a slope, it's going to run down the slope. It's mm-hmm. not going <laughs> to... Mm-hmm. sit across and like lay across the whole field yeah. right like you're gonna uh you're gonna have you're gonna be dealing with the, the the terrain that you're dealing with and so i i think that i bring that in a way that maybe folks that didn't have to think or have not felt powerless the way that i felt powerless or not felt powerless in in front of these systems uh feel powerless and also because i don't profit from i mean i profit from some of them right like i'm I'm a 29-year-old Black woman who's a Rhodes Scholar, and like I've amassed immense amounts of social and political capital mm-hmm. for a Black woman at all, and really for a lot of 29-year-olds in general. And so, I mean, obviously some of those systems work for me, but uh, I'm not so invested in them that I don't mind like trying to tear them down. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that that is one thing. And then the other reason I was hired was because of this policy approach, right? Uh, I, my background is actually, I wanted to be a journalist for most of my teenage years and into college. I actually just wanted to be editor-in-chief of Vibe magazine. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and then Vibe folded. And I was like, well, it was what am I going to do with my life? Yeah, it was. I was like, well, I'm literally never going to work no. anywhere else. So I come from that background, which is all about sort of like, how do you talk to people and tell their stories and how do you like understand the world through stories? And then I trained as a qualitative researcher, which is again, all about interviewing. Uh, and then I was a UX designer, which is, and I, we use a design framework like most of UX call human-centered design, mm-hmm. which has all of these components that's essentially about like research and then feedback, like prototyping and feedback. But it really centers like in an individual's experience of of a product or of a change or whatever, uh, and understanding that. I kind of out of that amalgamation, although I'm sure someone else has done it before me, I'm I had the policy model that we use on the Abdul campaign was really based in like field work and talking to communities, getting feedback. And it was a, a like a collaborative process. We also like I was the only full-time policy person on staff. So it was also kind of a distributed organizing effort in the sense that I had interns that worked on different things. And we put this, we put out this suite of policies from like a very decentralized team. And New Consensus was interested in that model. And that's the model that we're adopting uh, for the Green New Deal. And it's actually been even before we've started writing the policy has been really fruitful because people feel engaged and respected on a level that I don't think they expect it, whether they're a policy wonk or an EJ, like an environmental justice group or a mm-hmm. community member or someone talking to me on Twitter. Right. <laughs> right? Like uh, we try really hard to just be an open space where people can be heard and can work with us to solve problems. Which is and pretty rare. 
Yeah, which I didn't realize, <laughs> you know, like, because I had been, I mean, I've been an analyst, but I had like moved into city government, which is different than think tanks. And then mm-hmm. I, you know, as policy director, I ran my own policy shop. So I just structured it the way that it makes sense. And to me, the way it made sense to me, and it turned out it was useful. I would have been hard pressed to come up with that model if I had been, I think, a, a white man, just because I don't know. I, I think just the way that I was raised and and partially my culture and then just my experiences, like I just love collaboration and just collective effort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, white guys don't uh, don't inherently uh, default to that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it so. turns yeah. out, you know, in a vacuum, you're like, oh, well, that's one example. But over 400 years of history, uh, uh, turns out that's a statistic. And now it just goes, that didn't work. Yeah. Next. Um, I think part of it is also that like when no one looks at you like you could be the lone hero, you don't have an expectation that you'll ever be the lone hero, at least for me. People will look at a white man and say like he alone can solve this problem sure but like society generally doesn't look at a black woman unless you're like michelle obama or now stacy abrams you know there's right. or oprah you know, there's <laughs> like a compendium of like a few black and, women that that people are like just give them anything and they will fix it but for the average i think black woman like no one looks at you and goes you alone shall save right. the world right and so to me that was just like it was pressure off and it also meant like, cool, I'll just work with other people. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, two I'm things. Fine. One, I, I, I only disagree in the sense I do believe Michelle Obama should be queen of America. Right. Like, <laughs> and not just informally like she is. I mean, like you give her the, the powers. She is my everything. But two, it's like, th- that's what our entire presidential system has been built on. Right. As much as like, we, you know, half the reason America was set up was to escape the King system. Uh, you know, we, 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 we've set up, you know, white guys running for office in the sense that like they alone can make this change. Right. Yeah. And and that's, that's fundamentally, I mean, it has worked in in a few occasions, you know, where they have had enough effect or, but that is only when they have all of the seats of power or their party is all the seats of power or like-minded people have all the seats of power and they can start to make that change. But it is, especially now, right. just fundamentally not But history not still remembers them as, like, the only one who did it. Right, right. Like, which is crazy. Have all of these, like, supportive systems, people, and it's like, well, they alone did it. And, I, you know, I, I get it, and because it's a, it's a, I think, a attractive myth. Sure. Um, FDR did so the New I Deal, right? It. It's great. But except right. for it, like, monumental challenges and legislative work to, to, to make something like that. Totally. Work. Yeah. And I think it's like such an interesting shift now because I think uh, people, it like comes up specifically in articles from time to time. But I think something that people have been noticing through polling is that like millennials tend to be, I think, a bit more collective in their thoughts about how to run a society or politics mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. And And like, to me, I'm wondering, like, we're the first, I feel like we're the first generation to fully grow up and like post like Reagan era, like deregulation, Mm -hmm. deep individualism Mm -hmm. about everyone sort of like on their own. The government should not try to support you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and I always wonder, like, is this a bit of like we live through it and now know 
kind of what it feels like to have so many supports taken away Mm -hmm. that like we have actually sort of swung in a different direction and are like actually collectivism, the sort of thinking about other people, all of our fates are bound together. I, I, you know, maybe it's just a utopian of me to think, but I wonder if that has something to do with it. No, because I just see among all my peers, like this, this kind of like intense rejection of this sort of system where you just have to be out for yourself and super vigilant. And I think possibly because it's just super exhausting and I don't know how people can keep it up. and Everyone's very tired. No, I think it's all true. I mean, I'm, I'm so tired. Uh, but but it's also like, I mean, we look at you're also the first generation to completely come up with, uh, you know, full connectivity online, right? And, and yeah. there are just... <laughs> Turns out an exceptional amount of downside to that, right? In a, in a huge variety of ways. But there's also this exposure you get to yeah. if, should you choose to, uh, and Twitter's better about this than, than others, uh, and, or just like generally like looking someone up where you can be exposed yeah. to such a wider variety of Or you of, can hear a totally different voice that you would never hear before. And it's like, look, you it, know, right. And, and, I mean, I think back to, uh, I'm again, I'm, I'm from a small town, Virginia, like my high school is 60, 70% black and all my schools and 90% of kids on free lunch. So I had a very significant uh, exposure to, to what that life was like and has stuck by me hu- uh, hugely, right? But a child does not choose like where they grow up. So, right, so yeah. there are plenty of kids in the Northeast who, who didn't meet a black person until they went to college, right? But their right. school might've been 30 or 40% Jewish, right? Or I think about... And this is not not the conversation anymore. But you know, years ago, it was it was oh, you're out there in Los Angeles in your bubble, and it's like, well, Los Angeles is not a it's not a bubble. You know, I, I can't remember yeah, what the statistic yeah. is, but it's something like Los Angeles is home. And I always mangle the phrasing of this to the second biggest population of like forty different countries uh, outside that home country. Oh, wow. and you're like, well, that's not, I didn't know that. that's not a bubble, you know? I mean, it's no, a little different here no. than it is in New York because everyone's in their car, non-exaggeration. So you're not just pressed up against them. Like you're on the subway in New York or DC. But the point is, is like in North Dakota, it is much more of a bubble. Uh, so right, you yeah. don't have those. However, you know, you, you have to empathize with at least the children there because they didn't choose to be born there and only be exposed to that. It's later Absolutely. when they choose not to leave it or in 2019 when there are so many advantages uh, to being connected online and things like that, where you do start to pick and choose what you entangle yourself with for better or worse, uh, where you can go like, yeah, but you've chosen not to expose yourself or to, or to right. take part in those conversations. And that's different. Right. And again, like you said, your generation is, is just seeing the, at least some of your generation is seeing the collective benefit and the necessity of doing that and and why it matters. Yeah, totally. And we all have blind spots. Like I'm a black woman, but I'm still American, which means I have like national privilege. I'm still cisgender. I'm still straight. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm And I'm still Christian. Sure. Right. Which is like uh, advantages that I, that I have. Uh, you know, I'm also college educated at sure. this point. And so you're fancy. And so it's easy. Yeah, I'm I'm a fancy bitch. Uh-huh. And <laughs> co- um, once again, you said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fancy bitch. Um, and but we have blind spots. And and like sure. you said, the internet helps. Like I at times where I found myself, I try to do this thing where like if I find myself ignoring an issue that I know is pressing for people, but is too painful for me or 
I feel like, oh, it doesn't matter. I try to follow a like to follow someone who's like in that fight or a voice from a community that's affected by it. So mm-hmm. like I remember like I followed I follow trans people now because mm-hmm. I don't have trans friends in in my life on the daily, but I recognize like that's a struggle and I found myself like wanting to like not look at the other the next story about, you know, a trans a black trans woman that was murdered and I recognize that as a luxury. So at least even if I can't engage the stories all the time like I'm hearing about it or the detention centers and immigration like mm-hmm. For me, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a, a born citizen of the U.S., right? And so I can, and I'm, I don't, I've never lived in a border state. Although Michigan is actually technically uh, a border state, yeah. it is, yeah. So yeah. like ICE actually has jurisdiction in all of Michigan because great. we're so close to the Canadian border. Yeah, it's it's not wow. great, but like so now I follow like a couple of journalists who uh, really follow those stories. Because it's it's important. And just because I have the luxury to look away doesn't mean that I should. And that's a luxury that I think my generation, like you said, uniquely has. That I can just like get on Instagram and be like, oh, I should widen my perspective. Let me follow this person. It's like the Matrix, right? right? You can literally plug insight. in yeah, and, and get that and say, I know Kung Fu slash trans people's, you know, stream of thought experiences on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. What uh, what parts of the Green New Deal, because it seems like a lot, uh, yeah. <laughs> have been sort of no-brainers? And, and then opposite, what, what's been really hard to get uh, in, included? So for us, like everything related to, well, okay. Equity was always a no-brainer, mm-hmm. right? Like we define very early that uh, income inequity or income inequality and climate change were the twin crises that the Green New Deal was going to attack because they're deeply interconnected Mm -hmm. and because what you need to solve one is actually the same thing often that you need to solve the other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So transformative moments don't come around that often. (laughs) So if you can solve two things at once, you it is our stance that you should try. Mm -hmm. Some people disagree. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with them, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so... Now, figuring out like what equity, what sort of what related to equity would be included, that was kind of difficult because contrary to what people sometimes write in the press, we didn't actually want a laundry list of things. Mm. A lot of thinking uh, and spend a lot of thought about what policies are needed to ensure that the transition is equitable, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where we started and that the fruits of the transition are also equitable, Mm -hmm. which is why we talk about like how ways to turn income into wealth, right? Because we know that like that is the wealth gap is worse than the income gap racially. And that is something that like, even if you pump income into communities, you don't necessarily, one, raise them out of poverty, which is a separate issue mm-hmm. that has to do with around like in kind benefits and, and health costs and all these other things. But two, that income doesn't necessarily turn into wealth unless you are helping people figure out vehicles to do that, mm-hmm. connecting them to that. And so that was actually a little bit tricky because we had to think really deeply about, okay, what does this, is this needed to support the transition? So some things were easy, like uh, paid parental leave, right? Mm-hmm. Because 
how if you can't have childcare, you can't work. Mm-hmm. And then some other things like a like the jobs guarantee uh, because of the skills building component was pretty uh, crucial. Now the healthcare stuff we we definitely thought about and ended up being included, but that took a bit more thought because we were like, well, this is a thing that's moving anyway. Should we include it? But then obviously you could see migration patterns changing. And so we were like, actually, as an employment policy, this is really important because you can't have a mobile workforce if most insurance is employer provided, nor can you have people re-enter the workforce if they have chronic conditions or their family has chronic conditions because it can make like Medicaid is the best sort of form of insurance Mm -hmm. for them. But because of asset limits and stuff, people could get kicked off even if they do have a well-paying job. It's a hell of a rabbit hole Um, to go down. It is really, really, really tough. And so, so those were uh, harder discussions. I mean, there, there's a lot of hard debates on the climate side, right? Uh, I, I hate talking about them as sides, but there's, for the things that are focused more on decarbonization, there's a lot, there's a lot of issues that are very hot topics like nuclear or mm-hmm. carbon pricing mm-hmm. or land use and uh, should we reverse suburbanization? Like mm-hmm. these are wow. all uh, questions that are on yet. Like that's the thing, like dealing with climate change, it changes everything. Yep. When you change your energy system, you change everything. Yeah. Right. And so, so those are all questions. And we got off like a little bit easy uh, at the moment, although it won't last because we're working on policy details. So we didn't have to weigh in on those, mm-hmm. but those are going to be really difficult things to work through going forward because there are, they're really complex issues and there are pros and cons on both sides. And often the cons have to do about how they impact frontline communities. Mm-hmm. And often those concerns are the ones that are first tossed aside. And so navigating that and really thinking and really hearing from people and reaching consensus around that it's going to it's going to be tough we can do it and i will definitely will do it but it'll be hard it's going to be a hell of a thing but, yeah but, it's going to be really difficult but yeah i mean a few things it's like the the, the people who were so lazy in their hot takes about this is a laundry list of progressive uh, shit it's like if you want to see my laundry list i'm happy to break that out it it is right? a lot more complicated and wonky rights. and like, yeah you want me to uh, you, you want me to talk about where i want to build the fire to melt down all the guns let's <laughs> let's get into that shit but this is not that it's comprehensive but again like on a huge variety of reasons like it has to be a one we, yeah. we have to do this uh two inequality is raging and this is actually one of the reasons why when people say well let's hold off on that let's do it a separate time it's like one that's never worked right period <laughs> ne- you know literally never that's never <laughs> that's never worked uh and two it's like no these things are connected they they do make a difference you know the people the 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 mostly black people in dc who cannot escape the heat at night because the nights are not as cool as they used to be and also cuz there's no fucking trees in their parks and around their apartments and they don't have air conditioners you know would like to tell you that these things are connected because yeah. it makes them unable to work cuz they're sick and now they're in poverty even further than they were before and yet we will we can't even have a discussion about something like you know universal basic income cuz god forbid it's socialism you know it's yeah, it's it's really it's wild. And I've actually I used to be much better uh, at making sort of the uh, like an economic case or uh, like a 
an elegantly argued um, case for why equity and and climate justice or like, and climate action should be linked. And I'm struggling to make those arguments now because at some point I'm I'm like, if you are going to have some things on the table, right, that can help people's lives and all we have to do is try to design them out well so that they're equitable, why would you not do this? Like, I'm, I think I'm just getting tired of justifying, like, why we shouldn't have some people suffer as collateral damage in economic terms. Like, I'm just over it. Yeah. I, and so at still, this point, I'm How are we I'm still like, having that conversation? Yeah, and but it happens all the time. And, like, the, it comes from people that I, you know, are building relationships with that I respect and I get where they're coming from. My personal patience for making that argument is really running thin because at this point, I feel like I shouldn't have to tell you why you shouldn't leave Black and Latino and Indigenous folks and disabled folks behind again. 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 Yeah. Like, why do I, like, I, for the 57th I don't have time, time for this. Yeah. yeah. And then turn around and be like, well, you know what? Because they're, they're, it's often the same people who will turn around and go, we really have to do something about income inequality. Like, it is not right that people can't afford medical care. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Right. So no, it does. It gets exhausting to be the one together. It's exhausting to be the one that has to has to, has to constantly put together the eloquent argument when eventually you're just like, how do you not fucking get it? Like, what do I have to fucking say yeah. to you in 2019 to make you fucking get it? Yeah, and I think it's also just exhausting. Like, it feels weird, honestly. Like, as a black woman, to be making these arguments because the opposite is policy that I know will leave people like my family behind. Mm. And so it feels weird to uh, to try to argue with people about like why they should care about the people that raised you or that loved you or that cared about you, why you should care about why we should like try to make sure that they can also get the good paying jobs. Right. Like, you know, it just feels like at some point, sometimes it feels like I'm arguing for my own humanity and I'm like, this is gross. Sure. I don't want to be part of this because to me even if it like costs a bit more but is going to reinvest in communities that we have disinvested in and that a lot of their problems are directly attributable to policy decisions that we've made in the past sure. why would you not do that like why i don't right <laughs> i just no it's exasperating I can't really wrap I, it's my exasperating mind for me it. i cannot even imagine the exponential level it is for you but but you know that comes back to like one of my first questions for you is like this specific perspective you can bring is like this is as much as you know you want to be the 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 policy wonk road scholar about this like this is also very personal to you and there are as much as like there are so many more women and so many more people of color and women of color that are involved in this like to not have that perspective of, of someone who is fighting for a very personal thing that can name names of people that will be, that will not might be, but will be effective for this because they've been affected by decisions of the past is, is so necessary because five white guys in a room, not only will they not consider that, but they, it won't even fucking occur to them. And that is why we are here. Yeah. And so a really smart colleague of mine once said that policy isn't just about how we distribute power. It's also how we distribute pain. Right. Policy is a I mean, part of policy is saying, uh, yes, who will benefit and how. But it's also saying who will suffer, how long they will suffer, when they will suffer, why they will suffer, uh, where they will suffer. Uh, Sometimes you answer all of those questions, sometimes just a bit. But you always figure out somebody. Somebody doesn't always have to suffer, but but 
you know, a lot of times you are thinking about who will get the short end of the stick. And I think it's high time for policy to put people at the table who do experience the short end of the stick, because it's really easy to say, oh, you know, yeah, that could happen, but we'll just make more services available. Mm-hmm when you have never had to use any of those services, Mm -hmm. which generally have super long waiting Mm -hmm. lists, right? Which generally are understaffed, right? Who knows how long the benefit lasts, right? And so there's all these, all of these sort of barriers and limitations. And if you haven't experienced that pain, it's difficult to understand why you can't just continue redistributing that pain to people who've experienced it before. Sure. I mean, it's like you right? look at- Because you, you don't know. Right. And you look at like our Veterans Affair Hospital and like what a, what a complete nightmare it is. And it's yeah. designed by a bunch of people who dodge a draft, you know, because that was the era. And so they- so they never took part of it and, and so our military is huge. And now that you have these people that are, you know, what are they? They're, they're like hundreds of thousands of cases behind at times or, or the paperwork is a nightmare yeah. uh, because they just, the people designing it have never interacted with it. And if you've interacted with yeah. it in any way, much less depended on it, uh, you know, on, on the minuscule services that are provider. And like you said, who knows when it runs out, who knows what the cap yeah. is like. <laughs> Uh, th- that that desperation yeah. to go like no this has to be much more solid and has to consider these people this time for the first time is so necessary yeah and i think it's also now that you've got me thinking about like i guess what i bring it's also just an an ear towards that like something that has confused me cuz i'm new to the climate sort of movement like i said mm-hmm. i started this project in september so i've been here maybe 6 months like do i even go here i don't know mm-hmm. and so i so i i i'm just sort of getting to be part of some of these fights or see them. And something that really has confused me is that, so we know that climate change and greenhouse gases and pollution, right, disproportionately affects some populations. These are the same populations that when we have green jobs, will struggle, could struggle to access them, right? Especially if they require relocation, all these other things, right? And these are the same communities that are saying like, hey, climate action is great, but I need you to consider these sorts of things because the pollution's getting dumped in my neighborhood or I keep hearing about the benefits, but I don't see anything. And, you know, and these aren't, the climate, the EJ world is not small, right? There are a lot of people doing this. So it's really odd to me to have people argue back and be like, well, actually, climate is the thing that we should, you know, like mm-hmm. we can focus on equity later. We need to really think about how to stop this crisis when the people who will be paying for the stopping of the crisis are the people who are asking you to pay attention right. to other things, right. you know? So it's it's an odd thing to be like, let's focus on fixing this. I know that we'll, we might fix it on your backs and you're asking us to make some considerations so that the burden is a little bit heavier, but I'd rather not do that right now. Sure. You know, like I'm like, it just is, it's, I'm starting to understand more like where the tensions have come from and the history. And that's been really helpful. But at first I was really like, I don't understand. Sure. Because these people are, you know, EJ, it's not as though they're saying, like, don't solve climate. It's not as though they're saying we don't want action. They deeply want action. Their lives depend on it. They're just asking for some, like, policy yeah. <laughs> considerations. Sure. Maybe. And it's interesting to me that, like, 
even that is like, can sometimes feel like it's being repudiated, which is is bizarre to me. No, it's true. But, I mean, yes. Do yeah. we have to design the policy policies that 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 put the price on the carbon and or or the or the specific uh you know toxicity regulations for for the water and air or or future uh incentives or policies around uh taking carbon out of the air? Yeah, yeah, of course. Or the whole thing burns. The whole thing goes down. However, you know the EJ people are saying yes, but when it really comes down to it. The people who are affected by the burning in the polar vertex, like we are the ones and we've been getting hit with this and you, you cannot leave us out this time. You, you cannot. Exactly. Exactly. And also I think there's so, so many things are interconnected. Uh, and that's what really has gotten me interested in climate and more, much more passionate about it because the things that like, if you put more income and more wealth in those communities, that's more tax revenue that's going to their municipalities, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that they have more funding to do adaptation and to have, I mean, beyond just like more funding for schools and whatnot, they have more money to physically adapt to protect the community from climate change, right? Which if they can do that on their own means that you eventually could have like less federal money or less state money doing that. And so- if you also include them more, you'll have a more resilient country, right? In lots of ways, because you will have people that have more political power, but also just literally more material means. And that's going to flow into their communities and and so forth. Whereas like the opposite is that you have what is going to present itself as a municipal finance program problem, which is, you know, everyone who can afford to move from the communities that coastal communities that are going to be most affected, right. Uh, Other places that are really going to feel the effects, they're going to move away. The people that are going to be left are the people that can't afford it, which you're going to see a shrinking of the tax base, which means that they're not going to have enough money probably for essential services, much less adaptation. And then you have a city that has gone bankrupt. Right. Right. And then it's a municipal finance program. Sure. And then you have emergency managers come in and tell those people how how to run. And right, and the whole thing is due to climate change. Right. Right. <laughs> right? But people aren't going to experience that as climate change. They're going to experience it as economic loss, mm-hmm. the loss of services, the loss of jobs, right? The city's gonna the locality's gonna no, we're, experience we're it as a loss of revenue, behind. loss of workers. Sure. Yeah. And so it just it doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. Because in lots of ways, just making sure that the transition to a green economy, to a, a you know a zero carbon economy, includes everyone and, and people have access to high quality jobs, like that's just in the end going to pay dividends. Sure, and you can always turn it around. One of the biggest things we've tried to do here is like again, like whatever, not whatever, but mostly whatever, like gets us to the ends. And, and you want to meet people where they were, and so you. You want to go to these people and go, well, do you realize that, okay, you, you want to do, let's do the carbon fee thing and the money comes back to these people and everything goes well and the fee goes up and we cut the pollution down. These people, these indigenous communities and African-American communities and Latino communities have more money. Like you want to talk about uh, small businesses and, and more money in the economy. Uh, let's let these people be job creators. And then they right, and then they say yeah. no, and you're like, oh, oh, it's just because you're a fucking racist. Got it, got it. You just actually don't want these people to be able to rise up. Let's just put that yeah. on the fucking table. But otherwise, it's like, but you also hate services. So, so now you're just leaving <laughs> right. people. It's like, let's cut it to what it is. That's fine. Let's put it all out there, and then you know, let's let's do it right. But like, don't hide behind yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, this is not going to help uh, small business creators. It's like, well, no, white ones. That's fine. The white, like you said, the people who can move away from the coast. Got it. Yeah, but it will. It, yeah, and it will help white business, like small business owners too. So it's sure. just the whole, the 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 discourse has been. I'm learning a lot, and the hard thing is like it's a lot of people that I. I know really care about climate and often care about equity, but I think it's just a moment where like people are reassessing and the rubber is really hitting the road Mm -hmm. and it takes sometimes it takes people some time to adjust and to, to really sort of settle in for the long run. Sure. Well, and that's what (laughs) I want to pivot to here. And and as we've certainly kept you for, for a while, but I could, I want to do this all day, but so here, everyone's like, oh, the Green New Deal. It's like, it, it failed. It's great. Everything is going to be great. It's like, okay, well, hold, hold the fuck on. We've got at, at least two years, mi- minimum two years, hopefully yeah. only two oh, years yeah. till we can actually legitimately do something about it, right? So, but at the same time, as annoying as that is, because everyone's like, two, 12 years minus two years is not great. <laughs> uh, these two years are absolutely essential to 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 talking about this and getting those people on board that are going to take a minute. Uh, and at the same time, having these discussions and advancing this thing, which will probably end up being a series of things in the most productive oh, yeah. and efficient way possible. So what are ways our listeners can actually get really educated and invested in the overarching green new deal and all the various pieces, uh, whether they're coming at this from, from no knowledge, whether they, aren't involved in environmental right. justice or equity or, or climate or water or air, but knowing that we won't have a real vote on until 2020, like how can we gear these people up to be an active part of the conversation for the next year, two years? Yeah. So I think there's a few things. One is obviously get informed. And so what I tell people is there's a lot because of the Green New Deal and the resolution was meant to be a set of broad, high level goals. There's a lot of confusing information about out there about like what is in it, what does it mean, whatnot. So I always tell people, go to the official resolution. I mean, it's written in bill like legislative language, but it's still pretty easy to read. Mm-hmm. It's about 14 pages, but the spacing is like, I wish I could have used that spacing in college. Oh, I'll just space. say that. Right? I try to do that uh, every day. It's Curry like triple space. Oh, like, God, that's the big jam. Font. Like, yeah. So it's, so I say, I always say, go to the official resolution and read what it says. And then, um, do you have the URL cons- for that? I want to put that in here. So I, I can send it to okay. you. Yeah. So it's on a few places. Uh, okay. It's on the congressional website now, which is kind of cool. Um, and so, so I'll send that. So read the official resolution. New Consensus, the organization, the policy shop that I work for, has done already a short explainer, a two-page explainer, and a 14-page explainer. Oh. Again, it's like the 14 pages like designed out. It's not that long. And it, but it goes through sort of the historical and philosophical and some of the financial re- economic rationale for the Green New Deal. And we'll be putting out explainers on various pieces throughout the year. So New Consensus is a great place to look for information. Sunrise Movement, they share a lot about the Green New Deal. uh, And so that's great. And I mean, obviously, uh, there's a lot of great coverage. David Roberts at Vox Mm -hmm. does a lot of great work on energy. The Atlantic has started to write about some of the industrial and like economic uh, aspects of the Green New Deal in ways that are really useful. And so, I mean, obviously, 
I say start with the official docs, come to our explainers, and then, you know, read as much as you want. And then I'm always available on Twitter <laughs> mm-hmm. at our guns. So people do send me questions and I do try to answer as much as I can. And so that is good. Uh, Data for Progress, they also have done some work on the Green New Deal, especially polling. That's really useful. So there's a lot of things out there that I encourage people to read. But I always say start with the real resolution, like from the horse's mouth, figure out what is exactly in it. Sure, sure. I think one of the biggest things that will be useful right now is to just like If you care about this, let your reps and also let presidential candidates know that you care about it, right? Political pressure and building political power and just people power, just building people power around the Green New Deal is crucial. It's really crucial. And especially now because it's fairly new on the scene. And so people are constantly trying to see, is it going to lose steam, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like, are people going to stop paying attention? And so, especially through 2020, we want, you know, if we want candidates to be talking about it, to be thinking about it, to be pushing it, we have to be creating pressure on them. And that is tweeting at them about it. You know, it's calling, it's whatever. Sunrise has a ton of ways to get involved and they're a great group to connect with, uh, to get involved in part because they can also farm out to to sort of like more local groups who are working on it. Mm -hmm. And then as far as policy, New consensus. We're trying to figure it out because we actually still only have three people. <laughs> it's Whoa. like a very small shop mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Which is why if you're listening and I haven't responded to your email, I'm sorry. I'm getting <laughs> to it. But for us, we're still trying to figure out exactly how to get people involved. But feel free to send us um you can even just send it to me, Rihanna at newconsensus.com. Oh uh, policies, I, no, I mean, but I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. policy, policy ideas that people have because good ideas come from everywhere, sure. right? And so we really do mean if people want to speak into it, we want to be able to speak back. And we're trying to figure out more formalized ways to help individuals sort of plug in. And so we're, you know, we're playing around with like advisory councils, et cetera, uh, that we... Uh, could set up. But right now, the best way is just if you want to be involved in the policy, just reach out, tell us your ideas. Um, Like I said, we're a small staff. So we're, I mean, we're staff, we'll probably be staffing up uh, during the year. I mean, have some patience, but we do Mm -hmm. really love to hear from people and let us know, like, like I said, uh, if you if you have like been working on research that's relevant, it's it's just all really useful because even if we don't respond, we do collect all the info so that when we have like a useful way for a more useful way for people to plug in directly, we can tell them. But right now it's just sharing ideas because we're just really in a listening phase right now. So that's pretty great sure. to know that the people who are, you know, pl- doing this whole thing are, uh, you know, interested in what we all have to say. <laughs> yeah, change no, of people events. send me. Wow. People send me all kinds of like articles on Twitter and policy plans. I learn a ton. And actually, as like as much of a cesspool as Twitter can be, I actually have found it really useful because these sort of participatory policy design processes are really tough. Like they just take a lot of work, a lot of time. Uh, And but Twitter or like and digital communication sort of short circuits that in ways that's really useful Mm -hmm. because people can just send or talk or, Mm -hmm. you know, message me. um, Even if they're like, we're popping in Finland, (laughs) like popping, you know? And so, and there's like, 
they send ideas. And so I think that it's really useful. But yeah, like I read the emails, I read the messages. I've learned so much. So like, yeah, continue to send. We're all in this together. And so if you have an idea, if you have a thought, like we want to hear it. This has been so awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, and, you know, we'll we'll get you out of here shortly. Is there, um, and it doesn't have to be right now, but if you can think of, and yeah. I feel like you've already mentioned and could just supply us with a list yep. of people that, uh, anybody else that we could talk to, you know, about this or any other. Oh, yeah. Giant- Anything else in your in your nerdy road scholar be. crew of like people who are whether they're big names or small names, it's even more fun to have small names. Yeah. Obviously, prefer ladies and, and and people of color uh, because it's it's just enough of the white guys. I feel like yeah. they're not just just that way though. Yeah, people who are out there just kicking ass. Again, it could be climate or space or cancer or, or any of these no, things. No, totally. Anything that's affecting everybody right now or in the next ten years, basically. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'll think. I actually, my boss, Demond, might be a cool dude because he used to be an organizer. Mm-hmm. Like he comes at this completely from an organizing background, and like the way he, it's like kind of like policy is distributed organizing sure. and like using policy as like an organizing mechanism, yeah. which is really interesting and cool. I mean, I gave him some of those ideas, but he's like taking it to another level. There it is. Uh-huh. Um, nice. But. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Send uh, I'll think. We feel like um, you probably have uh, some pretty good recommendations. Probably oh, got yeah. a pretty good, her 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 iMessage threads are very different than ours. I think so. I yeah, her, her crew is. Oh oh no, they're not. They're not. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, people have this idea that like if you are quote unquote smart, that that's like all your conversations are about. Uh, like important stuff. But I told my <laughs> boss like the first day we met, I was like, just, you know, I don't do any smart shit in my free time. <laughs> he was like, what? And I was like, my brain can only take so much. I'll tell you what, so... man, my, one of my best friends is the, is the XO on a submarine and he's pretty much the same way. He's like, I give it all on that boat. And when I come home, the whole thing shuts off. Like there's, yeah. I, I got nothing else to offer, which his wife really appreciates. Uh, that he can, you know, barely keep a tank of gas in the car. But he's like, on the other hand, I keep America's lights on at night. So it's you're probably welcome. pretty necessary. Yeah. Like we get into, well, yeah. here, we have some questions for you. One, one of them, some, some lightning round questions. One of them oh, yeah, is going to sure. right into Oh, that I've always wanted to do a lightning round. Oh, cool. Get ready <sighs> then for you're, not a lightning yeah, round. Yeah, get ready to be disappointed. We, we like to I'm gonna try to be. I'm going to try to be a lightning because I also, when people are like, oh my God, it took so much of your time. I'm like, bitch, I give 10 minute answers to everything. <laughs> this is not your fault. This is my fault entirely. Like, please don't apologize. All right. So first one. When was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Uh, Lightning round. Probably <laughs> my, my, the first Twitter thread that I put out, actually. Okay, oh. what was it? Yeah. We'll, take, we'll take a few details. Uh, it was, uh, so basically, I was reading the coverage. It was like the day, a day or two after the resolution came out, I was reading the coverage and I, kept seeing people talk about how it was a laundry list of progressive policies. And it was making me really upset because like I was talking about earlier, we worked really hard for it not to be. Mm-hmm. And there was rationale. And so I just wrote a whole Twitter thread about how, like why equity was essential and how I talked specifically about like Medicare for all and the jobs guarantee were necessary to like make sure that the transition actually functioned the way that we needed to function and that we actually have the real resources in terms of people people specifically and workers to do what we need to get done. Mm -hmm. 
I put that out and I was so nervous. It took me hours to write it. I even read that Audrey Lord quote about how like your silence will not protect you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I just like, I could like just see the trolls like flooding in oh, to yell God, at me. Yeah. And, and I put it up and I got like 4,000 followers in like three days. That's wild. Because it got retweeted by like Soledad O'Brien and like David Roberts mm-hmm. and like, like quoted in like a Naomi Klein article mm-hmm. and stuff. And before it hadn't occurred to me to say that stuff because I guess in my mind, I just assumed if I had thought it, someone else has already thought it and said it. Mm-hmm. And so seeing people respond and be like, I hadn't thought about this. This was really helpful. And seeing how illuminating it was, was really like, I think the first moment where I was like, oh, my voice is actually necessary and bringing something different, which I think I just took for granted before. Sure. No, that's awesome. That's that's awesome. Well, we're glad you put yourself out there. Did it <laughs> did it include a Fresh Prince of Bel Air gif or or no? Did you? No, there was a Cardi B. Oh, gif. perfect. Got it. Got it. Got it. So still relevant. Perfect. Perfect. Oh yeah, there was a Cardi B gif at the very end. Yes, it was the old. Car- I wish I could make that sound. I'm so sad. It's one of the. <laughs> I got you. It's one of my biggest deficiencies. But can you do it for me? Absolutely. Anytime you want. Yeah. Yeah. Brian. Yeah. Brian's here so, on demand. <laughs> It was the, oh, oh, okay, Brian, you should do it really quickly. Yeah, it was that sound. (laughs) It was the gift where she does it on the Fallon. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. On Jimmy Fallon in the green, like the green outfit. I think I saw that. You have a very entertaining Twitter feed. It is. It's good. (laughs) I just, because I'd be cracking myself. No, you gotta, you gotta do something, man. I like, I'm like, I am so amusing, guys. How are you not? <laughs> Don't you see how funny I am? Hang out with me all the time. I I just like make jokes to myself. Like my dog fart joke. Mm-hmm. I laughed about that for days <laughs> to myself. I feel like Hello. I, I got to get you and my wife in a room. We just entertain each other <laughs> yeah. until the until like the sun ends Perfect. and explodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much. All right, Rihanna. Who is someone specific in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Uh, Abdul El Sayed. Bang. Look at that lightning round. What wow. All right, Brian, bring it home. Uh, okay, so this is good. You talked about how when you're not working, you just like to do stupid shit. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed, specifically? I mainline Bob's Burgers. Oh, it's so good. I order Indian food and uh, also I so good. mainline beg Bob's Burgers and I try to bribe my dog into cuddling. How's that go? Mine doesn't ever work. Uh, she actually will be cuddly often. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more successful. She was not cuddly basically until like she was two years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Uh, do but you, now she's like more cuddly. Do you use the Indian food as a bribe? Kind of. There it is. Yes. Yep, there it is. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could Excellent. definitely be bribed with very good uh, answers. With, with oh, Indian I could be food. bribed to cuddle with Indian food. Absolutely. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, I also eat Night Starburst. What kind of Starburst? So. Uh, I call them my night starburst. <laughs> this is starburst. Just literally that starburst night. that I Got eat it. at night. <laughs> I don't eat starburst during the day, no, but when no, I'm no. stressed, it's I totally eat starburst at night. night. And only pink starburst. And I constantly think of Liz Lemon and Thirty of Rock course. being like working on my night cheese. Oh God, that show! I uh, man. Except I'm like working on my night starburst. It's oh, so <laughs> amazing. And your teeth Trying are like your teeth are like. No, this is a great husband. decision. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a good decision. Oh, yeah. And I'm always like trying to be very quiet so that my husband doesn't hear me unwrapping Starburst in bed like a like an animal. <laughs> you know, you should try. It does not work. By the way, I know to be he clear, knows what I'm doing. he hears it. <laughs> 
He knows. He definitely does. That is not He's a quiet like, I'm going to ignore that you're you're eating candy. No, it's like things. my wife and her popcorn. She's like, it's quiet this time. I'm like, nope, you, nope. No such thing. No, it isn't. No such thing as quiet popcorn. <laughs> I'll tell you how quiet it is. But he doesn't donuts, mention guys, it. In case you'd be wondering, <laughs> night donuts, they make oh, zero sense. Oh, I had to transition off of night donuts. I had a night donuts <laughs> phase of my life right after I got married Perfect. when I was like, you know what? I'm just living my <laughs> yep, life now. It's out there. You're trapped. You're trapped. It's fine. Yeah, so so I'm just going to start working on my I night tell my donuts. wife all the time, I'm like, it's so much paperwork for you to get out of this. You're just going to have to deal. <laughs> <laughs> Rihanna, how do you consume the news? Oh, articles. Uh, I read basically everything on my phone. Yeah. So articles on my phone. I don't like videos. I'll actually, like I've, I have seen like a f- couple Obama speeches or like the Stacey Abrams speech mm-hmm. I still haven't read because I just read the transcripts. Mm-hmm. I don't watch the video. Mm-hmm. Huh. She's worth watching because she's amazing. I know. I don't know what it is about videos. They make me anxious. Okay. I don't well, know. It feels it's like nice. a different conversation. Okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, it's funny. I'm like, I'm very calm about figuring out the Green New Deal, but I'm like, do I have to watch a video online? Oh my God. Nope. Nope. This is so anxiety producing. <laughs> Um, uh, so, yeah. This is a good segue, speaking of reading. Uh, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would that be? We've gotten such a... Gone Girl. Gone Girl? Yeah, Ooh. I mean, because like, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. If I send him a, 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 a just a book about black shit, he doesn't care. <laughs> so I'm just like, at least read some Jillian Flynn. She's a quality mm-hmm. author. All right, I like that. <laughs> That's good. That's like a different direction, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had coloring books. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of the wide spectrum. Um, Awesome. Hey, where can our listeners uh, follow you and your highly entertaining life online? Our guns. (laughs) Our guns on Twitter. R-G-U-N-N-S, right? Yep. Yeah, R-G-U-N-N-S. I'm probably the only policy person with a Snapchat filter as their profile. It's a new day. That's it's fine. a new day. Good. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. It's the puppy filter, and I look super cute. So <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And uh, other than that, that's probably the most. I mean, like, I'm on Instagram. I think R Gunner. Cool. We'll G-U-N-N-E-R. It's just all plays on the last name Gunner. Yeah, sure. You got it. Use it. But there's nothing. I mean, I don't. Get on Instagram much and don't get on. I'm not going to friend anyone on Facebook. Mm. So oh, no, no, no. We're past that at this point. No. Yeah. So just twi- Twitter is the best way. Cool. Rock and roll. Awesome. All right. Rihanna, this has been spectacular. I hope you've had uh, an all right time hanging out with us today. <laughs> oh, I had a blast. It was so fun. I haven't been a. Uh, I, I was a guest on a podcast before, but it was a much more serious energy podcast. So I'm less nervous this time around. I was also half dead. Okay. Oh my uh, God. So, that, so glad okay. you're doing better. So glad you're not half dead anymore. Thank you. Yeah, I was just very tired. My children don't sleep, so I feel like I'm half dead all the time. You're currently half dead, yeah. Yep. Rihanna, thank you so much for all your time and obviously everything you're doing out there uh, for the planet and for all the people that live on the planet, more importantly. Oh, of course. I mean, people always say that. I'm like, y'all, I'm going to die too. And I want to die <laughs> of eating myself into the grave like a good American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? I don't... A nice, I want my night starburst to take me out. <laughs> not a flood and not a fireball, y'all. Whoa. Night starburst yeah, yeah. is how I'm going to die. Well, look, if we have enough people that are inspired the way you are, uh, whatever gets them there, then we might do this thing. You know, night starburst is going to save the planet. I'm into it. All right. We are going to hit you up again soon for sure to hear how this thing is going. 
Okay. But uh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. This has been super fucking rad. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at important, not imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at important, not important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 